Hey everyone. So I am recording this clip after having recorded the episode and mixed it and edited it. And I was pretty much ready to schedule it to publish. And then my yearly podcast stats for my episodes, all the episodes that I published this year came through on Spotify. So I just wanted to say thank you so much. I know I say this at the end of every episode, but learning statistically how well the podcast did this year, me, you know, getting to the one year anniversary and, you know, having moments of should I keep going? What am I doing? Nobody is listening, you know despite all of the negative thoughts that I might have, I just kept pushing through and I got encouragement along the way. But sometimes those voices are just so annoying. I'm just glad that I never stopped. So I learned today that the podcast was a top 10 for over 100 listeners, specifically 146 listeners, The podcast was a top five for 85 listeners and the podcast was number one for 20 listeners. So (laughs) I still, I still can't believe these numbers. I can't believe them. And the fact that it's only the first year and I feel like it's hardest to do this the first year because growth is slow. Growth is slow. And especially since I don't, publish every week. I publish twice a month because I know realistically this is the schedule that I can stick to. Growth has been slow, but it has been slowly building and I'm slowly building a community here with my listeners and more and more of you are reaching out to me and telling me how the podcast is impacting you. And I'm really not trying to cry while I (laughs) record this clip. But I'm really thankful for each and every one of you that have listened to even one minute of this podcast because you don't have to. There are thousands upon thousands of options in the podcast space, in the mental health space, in the health and wellness space. And I am among those that you choose to spend time with. So please know that I do not take that for granted and I use that to keep me going every day, you know, as I'm writing podcast notes, prepping, producing, editing, recording. I do this for you guys, but I also do it for myself. Um, This podcast has been pretty much my only constant this year. And um, I am grateful for it. I'm thankful for it. And I'm grateful for you guys. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for continuing to support. I have a few new ideas for podcast episodes in 2023. So I'm working on fleshing those out. And I cannot wait to share. Again, for the umpteenth time. Thank you guys so much. I love y'all so much. Please, please, please. If my podcast is on your top five, on your Spotify wrap, please tag me, tag me, send it to me, email me, screenshoot it and email me or tag me. My IG handles are in the description box. Please let me know. I will repost it. I will show appreciation in any way that I can. Yeah, please let me know. Please let me know. So I really just wanted to record this clip real quick and let you guys know that I am so appreciative of each and every one of you. And with that, on to the episode. Welcome back to the podcast, the Bibliotherapy for Black Women podcast. It is your host, Amaka. 
I hope everyone is doing well. And if you're having a more challenging time right now, I'm sending love and support your way. I am recording on a Monday night, November 28th, with the plan to edit and get this up Thursday, December 1st, per usual. Now, this is a really good segue into reminding you guys that there will be our regular episodes posted for the month of December. You have this one that you're listening to right now. You have the December 15th episode, which will essentially be a year in review type of episode. And then I will be going on a holiday break. So what that means is I will not be posting a January 1st episode. The next episode that will be in your queue will be published on January 15th. So I made this announcement on a past episode. I'm not quite sure which one. I'm sorry. But I wanted to make sure I say it on this one earlier on in the episode. And I will also make the same announcement on the December 15th episode. Because, you know, we need breaks. As much as I love doing this podcast, I have a whole life and I'm taking a break from some of my life during the holidays as many people do and that break includes a break from posting Um, but I still will be doing work behind the scenes I'll be reading I'll be recording I will be editing so wanted to let you guys know that and how else have I been doing I've been doing pretty good like I said on the last episode I am looking towards 2023. I'm kind of reflecting on what this year has been for me. And the word, the word that comes to mind is balance. And not really that I've had it, more so that it's been absent. And I'm hoping to have, um, I don't know why I keep chuckling, but... (laughs) Because as I'm thinking about everything, all the craziness of 2022 within my life that you guys have, you know, heard a glimpse of here and there, I feel like I yearned for balance, which I'm still yearning for a little bit. And I'm hoping to have a little bit more of it next year and just have it be more of a daily theme you know not every day is going to be balanced some days are going to be chaotic some days are going to be calm but you know ultimately the goal is always to strive always to strive never to give up in that way so that's pretty much it for me as far as the holiday weekend went spent it with family had a good time had a couple of family events and holidays this time of year I get really reflective and you know just think about my family as it is my family as it was you know thoughts about what could be in the future but I really just try to be present and enjoy the company around me as much as I can So I think we're going to just jump right into it with this episode. So you guys have seen the title. It's called PTSD and Healing Trauma by Peter A. Levine. And I was made aware of this book by a YouTube channel that I subscribe to called Therapy in a Nutshell. And it is spearheaded by a licensed marriage and family therapist. Her name is Emma McAdam. And she did a video titled 10 Best Trauma Books for Healing Your Past. And I will link the video in the description notes if anyone is interested in watching it or listening to it in its entirety, along with perhaps those who might be interested in 
checking out the channel and seeing what other content she has available for her subscribers. I've watched a few of her videos and I really like the information that she shares. And when I saw this video, I was intrigued by this book. One, because it's short. And it two, it was her number one. Um, Okay, let me switch around that order. Um, I was intrigued, one, because it was her number one. And two, because it was short. So it looked like it was something that could be quick to read and easily digestible. And I had also read a couple of books on her list. So that made me feel good. But I hadn't read this one. So I ordered it and I started it. And I think this is going to be a two-parter because there is a lot of information in this book for it being only 80-ish pages, 90-ish pages. So ultimately, what I wanted to talk about is just trauma, which I have discussed in the past. I believe my third episode, which when I think back <laughs> this far, is kind of crazy to me. But my third episode was on What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce D. Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And that was a book on her list to to read. So... I discussed trauma in that episode and how, you know, our ability to make sense of the world and emotional regulation or inability to emotionally regulate can be widely impacted by the level of trauma you have experienced as a child into adulthood. But when it comes to this book, we're talking more so about what trauma is is kind of getting into the nitty gritty, what constitutes trauma, what experiences can be labeled as trauma, and what happens to the body. This is more so a bodily, you know, kind of conversation in terms of how trauma impacts it. And, you know, what could ultimately happen. So the book starts with talking about what can happen to the body when there is unresolved trauma. And one thing that I believe wholeheartedly is that a lot of the physical conditions we deal with as a society that we manage the symptoms of but don't necessarily have the ability to cure can be rooted at least partially, I would say, in unresolved trauma. So now the book talks specifically about migraines, PMS, chronic pain, fatigue, severe panic attacks, what we would categorize as psychosomatic symptoms, symptoms that don't really form a constellation for diagnosing a specific disease, but are very real and are very impactful to the person who is experiencing them, but we are not able to really find the root of what's causing them. So we ultimately just treat the symptoms and try to give the person who is dealing with it relief. But a lot of the times the book discusses, which I wholeheartedly believe, is that trauma from experiences we have gone through prior to these physical manifestations have built up in the body in a way that it is coming out through these symptoms. And books like these try to do the work with helping you figure out how to release or discharge that unresolved trauma for your, from your body so you can get some relief. And that's not saying that everything you're dealing with will go away. But I believe it enough for one, to talk about it on the episode and two, you know, to even try it myself. And that's why I want to do like a two-parter because I have not finished the book. I have read enough to where I feel like I can do this episode because I really want to try the exercises in part two and report back and see if there is any effect that I find that it has had on me. But yes, long story short, 
I feel like physical symptoms that we experience occasionally, frequently, daily, may be mitigated if we took a deep dive into figuring out what trauma we're holding on to and how we could release it. So just a quick quote from the book, the effects of unresolved trauma can be devastating. It can affect our habits and outlook on life, leading to addictions and poor decision making. It can take a toll on our family life and interpersonal relationships. It can trigger real physical pain, symptoms and disease, and it can lead to a range of self-destructive behaviors. But trauma does not have to be a life sentence. So another point that I wanted to highlight that this book makes is that trauma is not the same for everybody. There are experiences that I will go through that are not traumatic to me, which can really debilitate someone else and will take a lot of effort and time to recover from. And, you know, vice versa, there are experiences for other people that are nothing to them and they take no negative experiences from. But for me would be something that I would really need to work on if it happened to me because it would be a traumatic experience for me. And I just wanted to highlight that because it is... It is not uncommon to minimize or dismiss experiences of people that they find was traumatic for them, but because it wasn't for someone else, it's not given the proper attention that it needs, or they're not giving the support that they need, or they can't find the help they need. And we really need to just believe people when they say this experience was traumatic for me. And I have been impacted in this way and I have not been able to do this since this happened or I am experiencing this since this occurrence. You know, it really starts from just hearing the person out, acknowledging what they have gone through, validating what they are saying so that they know that what they went through mattered and the person that is listening is really looking to help them through it and to support them. Another topic or another point that Mr. Levine made in the book, um, which I think is really, really important to highlight, is that trauma has no timeline. Trauma has no timeline. You can experience a traumatic event and come away seemingly fine, but you will start experiencing the outcomes of that trauma weeks later, months later, even years later. And it can be tough because if we're so far removed from that traumatic event, we might not be able to connect it to the original thing that happened. And also, too, if it has become so traumatic to where the brain has essentially blocked out what happened in order to protect you, but you still start experiencing the symptoms, again, you may not be able to connect what you're going through presently to what happened to you in the past. So I think I thought it would be important to mention this because... Sometimes we wonder what is happening to me. This is coming out of nowhere. These panic attacks are coming out of nowhere. These nightmares are coming out of nowhere. You know, these angry outbursts are coming out of nowhere. There's nothing really wrong in my life right now. Like, what is wrong with me? You know, and I wouldn't say anything is wrong with you. Your body is trying to talk to you. Your body is trying to signal to you that there is some unresolved trauma that is trapped and it needs to be released and needs to be discharged and you know a lot of the times we just don't have the tools even myself who is a practitioner in this field I by no means am an expert I am always 
gathering tools, gathering more information on how to, you know, support myself and the patients that I see through their traumatic experiences and the aftermath of that, however it presents itself. So kind of boiling it down to what trauma is, I want to also read the definition that is provided in the book. In short, trauma is about loss of connection to ourselves, to our bodies, to our families, to others, and to the world around us. This loss of connection is often hard to recognize because it doesn't happen all at once. It can happen slowly over time, and we adapt to these subtle changes, sometimes without even noticing them. These are the hidden effects of trauma, the ones most of us keep to ourselves. We may simply sense that we do not feel quite right without ever becoming fully aware of what is taking place. That is the gradual undermining of our self-esteem, self-confidence, feelings of well-being, and connection to life. Our choices become limited as we avoid certain feelings, people, situations, and places. The result of this gradual constriction of freedom is the loss of vitality and potential for the fulfillment of our dreams. Now, in addition to that, I wanted to also highlight the timeline that the book shared about when it's possible to experience varying symptoms of trauma depending on how long it has been since the traumatic experience. So when it comes to symptoms, the book shares that these early symptoms can begin to show up at the same time or shortly after the traumatic experience. So this can be hypervigilance or being on guard at all times, intrusive imagery or flashbacks, extreme sensitivity to light and sound, hyperactivity, exaggerated emotional and startle responses, nightmares and night terrors, abrupt mood swings. This can be rage reactions or temper tantrums or frequent anger or crying. This can include shame and lack of self-worth. This could include reduced ability to deal with stress or you're easily and frequently stressed out. And this can also include difficulty sleeping. So moving on even further, some of these symptoms can show up later as as late as even years later. And these include panic attacks, anxiety and phobias, mental blankness, quote unquote, or spaced out feelings, avoidance behavior, such as avoiding places, activities, movements, memories, or people, attraction to dangerous situations, and addictive behaviors like overeating, drinking, or smoking. Also, we have exaggerated or diminished sexual activity, amnesia and forgetfulness, inability to love, nurture, or bond with other individuals, fear of dying or having having a shortened life, self-mutilation, such as severe abuse, self-inflicted cutting, or loss of sustaining beliefs, which could include spiritual, religious, or interpersonal beliefs. Now, this last group of symptoms generally take longer to develop, and this other group of symptoms can appear at varying points, but they typically are not the first within the first group that I mentioned before. They can probably be categorized with the group that I had just mentioned now. So these symptoms include excessive shyness, diminished emotional responses, inability to make commitments, chronic fatigue, or very low physical energy, immune system problems and certain endocrine problems such as thyroid malfunction and environmental sensitivities, psychosomatic illnesses, particularly headaches, migraines, neck and back problems, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, asthma, skin disorders, digestive problems like a spastic colon, that's the example given here, severe premenstrual syndrome, 
depression and feelings of impending doom, feelings of detachment, alienation, and isolation, um, quote-unquote living dead feelings, and reduced ability to formulate plans. The author goes on to say, the symptoms of trauma can be stable, that is ever-present. They can also be unstable, meaning that they can come and go and be triggered by stress, or they can remain hidden for decades and suddenly surface. Usually, symptoms do not occur individually, but come in groups. They often grow increasingly complex over time, becoming less and less connected to the original trauma experience. So I know there is a lot to digest here, but ultimately you can experience one of these symptoms. You can experience a few of these symptoms. You can experience many of these symptoms. They can surface a week after. They can surface a month after. They can surface a year after, two years after, 10 years after. You can experience one symptom and then experience five symptoms later. There really is no formula. There's no set formula on how to evaluate how trauma is going to impact you. And like that last quote said, the longer it has been, the more complex it will become almost to the point where you'll just feel like that's who you are. That's what your personality is. While deep down, this is just you existing after that traumatic experience, depending on how long it has been. And it will become further and further away from the original experience to where it can become really difficult to connect it back to what originally happened. And I imagine this would be even more difficult if, say, you know, the traumatic experience happened when you were an infant or a toddler or like in elementary school and you are now a young adult or you're middle aged. You have just been dealing with these symptoms your whole life and or you feel like this is just your personality. But in reality, this is you living in your post-trauma world, post-trauma inflicted world. So I found that these points in the book were particularly poignant to share because the word traumatic is used so colloquially in you know, society and culture today, you know, if you have to wait too long on a Starbucks line, oh my God, that was so traumatic. Like it could really be used in a hyperbolic way. That's why I think it's really important to get down to the nitty gritty about what these words really mean and what context they ought to be used within so that we don't, you know, get confused or water it down or, you know, use it in ways that we don't intend because they mean things, they're meaningful. And I think there needs to be a little bit of respect given to this subject matter because it is important. I would venture to say very few people walking this earth are walking around without any trauma. And I think that trauma-informed care should just be care, period. Trauma-informed care should just be primary care. It should just be inpatient care. It should just be OBGYN care. It should just be pediatric care. Because, like I said, very few people, I would bet are walking around on this earth in this society without trauma. So I want to just talk quickly about categories of trauma before I end this segment of the podcast. So the book describes trauma in two categories. It describes it as obvious causes of trauma and less obvious causes of trauma. 
So when it comes to obvious causes of trauma, it lists experiences like war, severe childhood, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, neglect, betrayal, or abandonment during adulthood, experiencing or witnessing violence, rape, catastrophic injuries, and illnesses. Those are the main types of trauma that the book categorizes under obvious causes. Now, when it comes to less obvious causes of trauma, it lists um, experiences such as minor automobile accidents, even fender benders, especially those that result in whiplash, invasive medical or dental procedures, particularly when performed on children who are restrained or anesthetized. The use of either increases the chance of trauma. For adults, many medical procedures, such as a pelvic exam, can be experienced as an attack, even if rationally we know they are necessary and helpful. Other types of less obvious potential causes of trauma, as described in the book, include falls or other so-called minor injuries, especially when children or elderly people are involved. For example, a child falling off a bicycle. An adult may see this and think it's not a big deal, but for a child, it could be a traumatic experience and it could really kind of discourage them from getting back on and trying again. Natural disasters, including earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, and floods. I actually think this is a cause that could be included with the obvious causes of trauma, but I guess it can fit into both categories, depending on the severity of the natural disaster. Illness, especially when there's high fever or accidental poisoning, being left alone, especially in young children or babies. Prolonged immobilization, especially in children. Um, This can include casting, splinting for long periods used for scoliosis or turned in feet. Exposure to extreme heat or cold, especially in children and babies. Sudden loud noises, especially in children and babies. And birth stress for both mother and infant. I starred birth stress for both mother and infant because I really appreciated this author just including this. Although I think it can also be included in obvious causes of trauma. Um, But I see why it might be categorized in this particular group because the weight of childbirth and what a parent goes through to bring a child into this world is just seen as part of the process, even when it comes to the negative points that the parent may experience. But for mothers that I have spoken to or who have shared their accounts, it is a traumatic experience to the point where they just don't want to have any more kids. If they thought that they were going to have three or four, they might just have one or two. So I, one, am just glad that he included it in this book period because I was not expecting that. And I think it gives it more legitimacy to have it be included in this context. That Those are the main points I want to discuss from the book. So to close out this segment, I want to share personal experiences that I have felt were traumatic for me. And I will kind of explain how I push through it. So the first one was, I would say 2012. So 10 years ago. Next month, I think will be 10 years. So I was living in Delaware at the time. I had bought my first car that year. And at this point, it had been about eight months that I was driving it. So I went to New York for the holiday. I drove all over the five boroughs. I can't even tell you where I went now. Like, I don't remember. <laughs> but one one place I do remember I went to. If you listen to the last episode where I talked about grief, I mentioned how I have a friend of mine who passed from sickle cell. The only place I remember going was to visit that friend in the hospital. She was my last stop before I went back to Delaware. Thankfully, that was not the last time I saw her. But 
that just kind of talking about the um, the trip just brought me back. But I digress. So I had driven all over New York, visiting family, visiting friends for that holiday period. And I drove back to Delaware. And this might sound really weird. I swear this happened. I got like this really ominous feeling on my way back from New York. I was driving home. It was dark because it's winter time. So the days were shorter. And I got this really bad feeling that something was going to happen. To calm myself down, I kind of said a quick prayer. And, you know, I was on the road. So I had to pay attention and make sure I got home safely. So the next day, the next day was the 26th. I had made the trek back to Delaware Christmas night after I'd done everything that I was doing. And um, the day after Christmas, I went to the mall because I was like, oh, after Christmas sales, let me see what, you know, I might find that I like. And then not even two minutes from my apartment, I was driving on this like service road. It was a two lane road. I was on the right side and I was next to that partition that kind of, you know, keeps the cars in line. So next thing I know, out of nowhere, this black Mazda 3 sideswipes me and pushes me into the partition and I crash. Like this all happens so fast. Um, but I remember it like it was yesterday. This black Mazda 3 sideswiped me so hard, so fast, pushed me into the partition. The Mazda, after it hit me, spun and it stopped right in front of me. So my car and that Mazda 3 were nose to nose. And I was clearly, I was shaken up. The people, the cars that were there started to slow down. I remember there were these two middle-aged men that parked their car behind the Mazda 3, came, they saw what happened. They came and checked on me. (laughs) They were like, are you okay? And I was so shaken up, like I could barely talk. And then when I mustered up enough, I guess, I don't know, energy to get out of the car, I got out of the car. I saw I saw the damage of my car and I started to like bawl. I was I was just crying because I didn't know what to do. This was my first car, my only means of transportation. Like, where do I even start? So the police came. I got a police report. I was taken to the ED. They checked me out. They didn't see anything wrong with me. They ultimately sent me home. My car was towed and I didn't have my car back for a few weeks. But the person that hit me, their insurance covered a rental car for the time that my car was in the shop along with some other compensatory stuff. So the way that this short-term PTSD manifested in me is that when I finally got the car, I didn't get the rental car right away. It was a few days, maybe like a week or so after the accident that I finally got the rental car because the insurance company was trying to figure out who was at fault and all that stuff. So finally, they figured out, you know, I was not at fault and they covered everything. They gave me the rental car and I started driving to work. I think for that week I was like taking the bus or something. So I finally, I I thought I would be relieved to finally have a car, you know, more convenient and everything. But, and I remember it was a white Nissan Sentra. I was driving and I would be driving slow. And if a car... If I felt like a car moved too fast around me, I would like jerk. And I was just really stressed at that time, you know, because I feel like, you know, sometimes we think things like this won't happen to us. You know, I'm not going to get into a car accident. And then that 
that like veil of protection almost that you think you have that nothing's going to happen to you completely rips open and you feel like exposed. So you're like, if this happened to me so recently, it can happen again. So that's kind of where I was at mentally. I was like, I, you know, you don't think a car accident's going to happen to you, but it has happened to me. So if it happened to me once, it's, it couldn't happen again, very much so. So I think that's part of, you know, kind of like those immediate few weeks after the traumatic experience, you, you know, just don't feel safe the way you used to. So I would, you know, try and drive away from where the other cars were. I would like jerk my head really fast. I was super like I was super hyper vigilant during that time. I felt extremely stressed and you know, it really took time. It took time to just consistently drive and get back on the road and start to feel in control and start to feel safe again. And I feel like by the time I got my car back from the shop, thankfully it was good as new. I was in a better place, but PTSD is real. PTSD is real. I feel like, you know, we, we, um, we understand that to be true now, but I think there was a point, you know, where it was not taken as seriously. So that's the first example. The second example was maybe two years ago. I was in nursing school. I had just started my first semester of my nurse practitioner year. I was a nurse. I had finished my first year. I was doing clinicals in person. This was before COVID. So I was doing clinicals in person and my clinical site was like not even a 10 minute drive. So I would drive to the street. I would drive to like a cross street that was not so busy and I would park my car sometimes I would park in the parking lot but you needed to have a pass and I didn't always have a pass um so sometimes I would drive and park on the street and I was not cognizant of the street sweeping schedule for that area of New Haven downtown so a couple weeks into my clinical I came like a normal clinical day. I came and I parked my car and I went in, you know, did my six, seven hours, said bye to my preceptor and walked out. I walked to the street where, where I parked my car and my car wasn't there. My car was not there. (laughs) And my first thought was that it was stolen because Yale, depending on where you are on campus, can be in some, can be in particular areas that are more susceptible to crime. So my car was parked in a neighborhood that you would, I guess, reason to be more susceptible to crime. But you know, you're just going about your day. The last thing you think is that something like that's going to happen to you. But that was my first thought. I was standing on the street and I started to hyperventilate and cry. I swear, because I felt powerless. And that is essentially, that is a lot of what trauma is. And I think um, Peter Levine discusses that in the definition that I, that I um, talked about feeling powerless, perceiving that there is nothing that you can do as part of categorizing something to be a traumatic experience. So I did not know what to do. I thought my car was stolen. I, you know, that car gets me from point A to point B. I'm not really familiar with any way else to get around. And I didn't know what to do. So literally, I I saw nobody else. I I heard nothing else. I was just kind of in my reality in that moment about my car is missing and I don't know what to do. So literally I was holding my chest, heaving and tears were running down my face. And then this lady from one of the houses on the block comes out and sees me and she's like, what is wrong? And I told her what happened and she's like, you'll figure it out. Just calm down. Just calm down. 
and something told me to look at the sign. And I realized that it was street sweeping day, that they usually sweep that side of the street the third Wednesday of every month. I'm not, I'm never going to (laughs) forget the day of the month that they do this because I had clinical every Wednesday, every Wednesday and Thursday. And I had started clinical earlier that month. So I had not approached the third Wednesday of that month yet until that day. And every preceding Wednesday, I parked my car there and I went into clinical and I came back and it was there like nothing happened. So I looked at the sign and it said street sweeping every third Wednesday of the month. And I checked my calendar and it was the third Wednesday. I was like, wow. So thankfully, there was a phone number on the sign. I called the phone number and they directed me to where I could find my car. And my car was towed and sent to this impound lot that was literally walking distance. Ooh, <laughs> I'm getting like a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm my, my body and my mind is kind of going back there right now. So I... They told me where to find it. It was probably half a mile down the street. So I walked and I told them which car was mine. I had to pay. I had to pay like an impound slash release fee on top of the ticket that they probably put on the car because, you know, I had parked it there on a day that they street sweep. And let me tell you, I'm so thankful that I got my car back and I'm so thankful that I was able to pay the fee because, you know, some people are in a position where, okay, you find your car, but how do you get it out? You don't have the money. So I was thankful that, you know, I was able to do both things. I got my car and I was able to pay the fee. But let me tell you, I called out of clinical the next day. I was so shaken up by that experience of coming out from my clinical and expecting my car to be there so that I can drive home and it not being there and my first thought being that it was stolen and if it's stolen where like the thought of your car being stolen at least for me I think where the hyperventilation and the crying came from was the feeling of powerlessness like my car is stolen. What am I going to do? I don't have a tracker on it. Like, what What do I do now? I am shit out of luck. My car is gone. That essentially is, I think, what was going through my head to where I started to outwardly react. So thankfully, I don't know what got me to calm down. Maybe it was that lady. I don't know. i Thank God I looked up at the sign and I saw, you know, the dates were in line and I was able to call the company and I was able to track down my car. But I did not go back to clinical the next day because of how shaken up I was. Like, I was like, I can't go back there. I can't go back there right away because just that that immediate environment where I had that experience it was just too soon for me I think for a little while I started (laughs) parking in the parking lot until you know some time went by I was like okay girl like it's not gonna happen again you know not to park here on the third Wednesday of the month it's safe your car is fine so I think sometimes I would park in the parking lot sometimes I would park on the street after that But, you know, just now avoiding the scene of the crime, quote unquote, (laughs) avoiding where the traumatic experience happened. That's what happened with me. And then, you know, with that experience that happened 10 years ago with the accident, you know, driving again after a few days and kind of being really anxious and really hypervigilant and, you know, trying to avoid other cars. Like, it is a real phenomenon. And, you know, I I am really, like, just sending support to whoever is listening that maybe might be going through this in however way, shape, or form. It's not easy. I hope you're able to find support. I, able, I hope you're able to maybe... um 
seek therapy, potentially um, get medication if you need it, because there are medications that do help. Anti-anxiety, some antidepressants do target symptoms of PTSD. So, you know, there is support out there and you can only get it if you seek it. So those are my personal experiences. I would say those are the most PTSD consistent experiences that I have had in my life. And thankfully, I have able to move past it. And, you know, if something like that were to happen again, God forbid, I feel like I have tools that I could glean from to be able to process those traumatic experiences and move past it. So that's going to conclude this segment. That's going to conclude this episode. I'm going to finish this book and work on the exercises that it has to see if it will have any impact on me. And I will definitely talk about it in part two of the discussion of the book. So as always, I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If this episode was helpful, if you have thoughts you want to share with me, let me know. Reach out to me. Email me, btbwpodcast at gmail.com. DM me on Instagram. Both my professional and my personal handles are in the description box. If this episode or past episodes have impacted you in a positive way, please rate and review the podcast on your preferred listening platform. If you have questions for me that you want me to kind of give my two cents on that you don't mind me sharing on an episode, please reach out, please send the question and I will give you my most thoughtful and honest feedback. So... As always, thank you guys for listening. Love you guys, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.